You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, the whole situation with the bridge has uh, taken yet another turn. One of the things that has happened here is immediately after the bridge closure, a number of local outlets were then seeking public information documents where they could start to go through uh, some of the communication in internally. And what we've learned is so they wanted all these emails and so forth. So the DOT charged the Providence Journal $450 to get them. It's possible that the DOT did not charge some outlets for it, but then they also charged Channel 12 $300 to get it. And it's, it's, it's another development here and something else that has emerged. And I'm going to play Channel 12 at a good piece on it. Uh, I think that's interesting. I, I don't know this whole business of obviously local media is complaining that trying to understand, as Kathy Gregg said, you know, the information was vital to the public understanding of the bridge fiasco. And then you find out that charging the journal and at least one other outlet for them, but then not everyone is is getting charged. But one of the things that we've heard about is this business about a young engineer that spotted it. And in the course of it, Andrew Prezzo, a structural engineer working for the bridge design contractor, VHB, had seen alarming damage to the anchor rods holding down parts of the bridge westbound span, and he wanted to share video of it. So he's 40 years old, 16 years with the same firm. He's actually an experienced engineer. I don't know why he was depicted as a young engineer um apparently according to the providence journal the dot will still neither confirm nor deny whether this is the quote the young engineer i mean he's 40 years old but this story continues now this is week two since this whole thing has blown up kind of to a different level and i would certainly argue it's it's another very very difficult uh week and it's not even over yet it's only wednesday uh for what's going on as far as the bridge so i want to play channel 12 who i i think in a good way they've been very aggressive about this they're trying to get the information and there's definitely everything's not lining up and there's two key people where they didn't release some of the email that were involved here So let me play, Channel 12 did a breaking news segment on this, and I think they break it out pretty well, that it's definitely not the way it was explained the week of December 11th, which was that in essence back in July it passed inspection, now it's not passing inspection, Let's hear Tim White from Channel 12. still going through them as we speak, but it is important to note that Department of Transportation officials say they withheld an unknown number of emails using an exemption in state law. A Friday afternoon email on December 8th, three days before the Washington Bridge closure, the subject line, Washington Bridge 700 inspection, critical finding. An engineer sharing photos and a video of what was observed, writing that of the four locations that are exposed, two locations show the rods have failed. An hour later, one of the DOT's top engineers responds, based on our phone conversation, it seems there are no immediate actions to be taken right at this moment. The email also notes that the newly identified problem with the bridge, quote, may have pre-existed but was not noticeable until now as this area is more exposed due to current construction work. Days later, DOT Director Peter Alvidi would insist the bridge's failure was likely due to a catastrophic event like a heavy truck snapping the rods. The critical finding was the failure of, a, of several critical um, structural components on that bridge. The failure is such that uh, it could potentially be the cause of a catastrophic failure. 
The Friday email between the engineers floats the possibility of restricting trucks from the left lane of the bridge and sets up a meeting for Monday. Target 12 obtained these emails and over 200 pages of others under the state public records law. The DOT told us getting the emails would cost $300. So Target 12 hand-delivered the check to DOT headquarters. The emails reveal a flurry of activity after the bridge closed as state agencies scrambled to triage the crisis. State officials quickly tried to access federal emergency funds with a top aide to the governor saying the governor would definitely consider a declaration for a federal funding source that was available for Rhode Island. After federal officials warned the bridge closure would not qualify for emergency funds, an official from RIPTA replied that warrants serious pushback. McKee says he is continuing to press federal officials for flexibility to get emergency funds. Now, we asked the DOT about that email that reveals the condition may have existed uh, before some construction revealed it, and a spokesperson told us a short time ago in an email that is precisely the purpose of the forensic investigation RIDOT is doing and the review commissioned by the governor's office. Again, we are combing through the stack of emails right now, and we'll have the latest on 12 News tonight at 10 and 11 and on WPRI.com. With the Target 12 investigators, Tim White, 12 News. Very solid report. Now, folks, it also reveals several different aspects of this. One thing um, is that the narrative that we were initially told the week of on the 11th and so forth, that's not entirely accurate. It also lines up with what I've been hearing, which was on Friday that they knew about it. And then they decided to, it doesn't show a lot of activity over the course of the weekend. And then they picked it up and then everything jumped into action. Now, some emails that withheld are that of DOT Director Peter Alviti and then also uh, the Chief of Staff, John Igliosi. Now, it also, it, it doesn't, it seems odd. The governor's people are insisting that he didn't know about this until basically almost four o'clock on Monday. I, I don't I don't believe that. Uh, I, I don't believe that. That's not what I've heard. I find it hard to believe that as soon as this thing started perking up that they did not bring him into the loop. It would it would seem very unusual. The governor, by the way, Governor McKee, Apparently that night, Monday night, as Director Alviti was then going on live television to announce that the bridge closure, that Governor McKee was going to the Hope High School basketball practice as if that was a priority. So I I don't know. There's a number of documents that are missing here that they haven't released, uh, and they're using an exemption. The media will go after them to try to get them. I'm not sure I, I agree or understand the philosophy and withholding it when it is going to come out but major major developments with the bridge you're listening to the john DePietro show aj drywall plaster home improvement call them today for a free quote you can also find them on facebook 401-323-9252 323-9252 AJ Drywall Plasters Home Improvement Frame to Finish Basements What a difference it'll make in your basement Acoustic ceilings Look how beautiful your ceiling could be New homes, additions Also, commercial rehabs Painting, remodeling Contact them today It's a family-run business AJ Drywall Plaster Home Improvements Call for a free quote What a difference they'll make in your home, your ceilings, floors, basements, 401-323-9252. What a difference, beautiful walls and ceilings. 401-323-9252. You can also find them on Facebook. It's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, well, as you know, things are heating up. House Republicans unveiled two articles of impeachment against Homeland uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Joining us right now, he is the Director of Research Public Relations at Numbers USA, which is the nation's largest grassroots organization focused solely on immigration. It's Eric 
Ruach. Eric, it's the John DePietro Show. Thank you for joining us. If you could break down these articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. There's two main charges that they brought. Uh, the first being uh, dereliction of duty, which is essentially not enforcing the law. And it, it's clear that uh, Secretary Marcus has not been doing that. In fact, he's publicly said that being in the country uh, illegally, coming over the border, or coming legally on a visa and overstaying it, which then puts you as uh, an illegal alien present in the United States, is not grounds for removal, which, of course, it is under the law. But what he's saying is we will not remove you simply for breaking immigration law. Uh, if you commit a serious crime, we might consider it. The United States government might consider you removing you. Or if another uh, a foreign country formally requests extradition, and that's about the only way that if you're here illegally, you're going to be removed. And so that's the dereliction of duty. And then the second charge is breach of the public trust, which is lying to Congress about it. He's, he's gone before sworn testimony, presented sworn testimony before Congress several times in which he has claimed both to have operational control of the border and then the more general argument that the border is secure. And so that's what they're going through right now. I mean, we could spend hours in this conversation detailing you know, how he's you know, guilty of these things. I, you know, our position in Numbers USA is uh, there's very strong grounds for both the impeachment and the conviction of Mayorkas. What we also caution is this isn't the ultimate fix. Public officials, particularly high-ranking bureaucrats, should be held accountable. But these policies uh, will continue until Congress steps in and prevents the Biden administration from continuing them. And Mayorkas is certainly a key player here, but but ultimately the buck stops with the president. And so Congress, while they may impeach Mayorkas, and you know it's probably not likely he's going to get um, convicted in the Senate. But it does send a powerful message, and, and hopefully the White House listens that Congress isn't going to hold us accountable, and these things are unacceptable. These policies that we put in place are unacceptable. Eric, if you could just explain, right now there are, quote, migrants sleeping at Logan Airport, which is less than an hour away. Uh, people see these busloads arriving in New York City. They're also at Chicago O'Hare. If you could just explain the policy that even allows them to be there. Well, you're right. It is a policy. It is not the law. By law, any inadmissible alien who you know, tries to enter the border is apprehended uh, or is located within the interior must be detained until they have a court hearing to determine whether or not they can remain. And almost all of them would, would not be victorious in that court proceeding. But the policy of the administration has been to release people who are coming to the border some of them are making asylum claims. A lot of them aren't even doing that. Uh, but the and in New York, is, this is it's been about two weeks ago, I guess. He went to the border at Eagle Pass, met with Border Patrol agents, and several of them reported that in the meeting he said over eighty-five percent of illegal border crosses are being released. And so I know we've seen a lot of attention paid to Governor Abbott and some to uh, Governor DeSantis, who are putting illegal border crossers on buses and sending them to New York City, for example, or Chicago or Boston. But really, most of the people who are coming over either have a, a network, family, friends, job offers in these cities, or the federal government is asking them at the border, where would you like to go, or NGOs using taxpayer money, and they're transporting them to to these cities, and to Boston is a, is, is a good example. And so it is a policy. By law, this should not be happening but this is what the Biden administration is doing, also using what's called parole, which is supposed to be used for humanitarian purpose, case by case. For instance, uh, someone needs medical care in the U.S. They'll let them in to receive that treatment. The Biden administration is using it. To, over a million people now they've released through parole, and they've given them work permits, which allows them to work in the United States, even though they shouldn't, by law, be in the United States. And Eric, the problem being, and if you could just explain, I believe it's twofold. Number one, under President Trump, it was a remain in Mexico, so you didn't have this problem where then they were all over the United States. And number two, it's my understanding, uh, it's very it, there's a low percentage of individuals that then end up showing up for their parole hearing. And then once they're in a, a New York or somewhere outside of Chicago, Boston, it's very difficult to track exactly where they are in the country. Well, that's very true. And what people might not you know, remember is that there was a surge, uh, illegal immigration, 
during the uh, first part of the Trump administration. And so Remain in Mexico was something that was put in place that effectively dealt with that. And essentially what Remain in Mexico is, if you come to the border and you're not admissible, but you say you were seeking asylum, you will remain across the border in Mexico while your case is being adjudicated. And because most people who are coming claiming asylum don't have legitimate claims, if they understand that the federal government won't release them into the U.S., they're not going to come. And people who are you know, legitimate asylum seekers will do that because they really need help. Uh, and so what remained in Mexico, that was unfortunately uh, was rescinded. It was an executive policy. So President Biden said he would rescind it and, and did so uh, the first day in office. And so now people are coming in, uh, you know, th they may claim asylum uh, or, you know, they might just say, uh, you know, I, I have a family member or if they have a child with them, they're automatically released. And the part about tracking is, yes, it's difficult to track all of these people because of the numbers. But the real problem is the administration isn't even making a, a very serious attempt. If they give them a notice to appear in court later on, if they don't show up, they're not going to go find them. And, and a lot of the people now aren't even getting uh, notices to appear. They're simply said, please check into your local ICE office some point down the future. And if, if the alien understands that there's no consequences for not checking in, they're not going to do it. And then, you know, we understand if you're incentivized to break the law, you're you know, people will be encouraged to do so. And our government is not just turning a blind eye, but actively encouraging illegal acts, you know, not only coming across the border, but working without authorization or, you know, all sorts of things. Most people are coming to work, but those who aren't, those who are coming part of criminal gangs or on a terrorist watch list, they're getting in the same way, too. Folks, again, we're speaking with the Director of Research Public Relations, Numbers USA. It's Eric Ruark. And Eric, what is the reaction from the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas and the Biden administration about these articles of impeachment? Well, he certainly maintains, you know, these aren't um, credible charges, that it's all political, that, you know, he's just doing, number one, things that other uh, DHS secretaries have done. The Congress is picking on him because they don't like him. That's essentially his argument. Uh, but his secondary argument, the one he's sort of making as to why the, the border is out of control, is Congress won't appropriate more funding. And, you know, we see that picked up a lot, certainly in the D.C. media, you see, is the problem is the funding. But the problem with funding would be going forward, if Congress appropriates more money, then the Biden administration is just going to continue to do more of the same. They're going to continue processing, releasing, and transporting aliens, inadmissible aliens, into the interior. And so if you're going to appropriate money, it has to come to stipulations. And GOP has passed this in the House, the H.R. 2 Secure the Border Act, which would put the funds to use securing the border and not processing people in. But the argument that the administration needs more funding falls apart when, particularly when we look at detention space, right? Because their argument is we don't have enough beds to detain people, so we have to let them go. But in each budget they've submitted, they've asked for less money for detention space, for, for beds and for facilities. And they're not even using the space that they have available now. So that argument falls apart if you look into it because they're not – they don't want to detain people and they don't want more money for enforcement. They want more money for processing people in into the country. And that's – you know, when they say we need more judges, they're going to set up judges who are going to decide in favor of the aliens, at least initially. And if you have a court date 10-plus years down the road, the chance that you're eventually going to be removed from the country are, are very slim. And, and, and really, I think that's the, the objective here, is to, is to overwhelm the system so much that Congress sort of – and we see that in the Senate. Like, well, we have no choice but to give in to the administration. But they have a choice, which is to stand up and say, no, we're, we're going to put an end to this. And that's really going to be what we see the fight uh, about the budget. We've already seen – some posturing, but you know the, there has to be a budget eventually that funds the government, including DHS appropriations. And there's a big divide, not just between Dem Democrats and Republicans, but also Republicans in the House and the Republican leadership in the Senate, which seems more inclined to sort of rubber stamp the Biden policy. Eric, what's the? Um, how can people find out more information about Numbers USA? That's numbersusa.com. If you go there right at the top, there's an action board. And right now, the big push for us is to get people to contact their representatives, particularly their senators, and say, pass HR2, Secure the Border Act. 
that has a lot of provisions. It will go a long way towards ending this crisis. And, you know, this isn't something that can be negotiated away, right? We, we, don't, we don't pretend to deal with border security and move on to other priorities. We have to secure the border. We, we, either, we either secure the border or we don't, right? There's no sort of compromise on that. And right now, uh, we see the Senate Republicans sort of saying, uh, we're going to pretend to pass a deal so we can say we made a deal while, while it's not going to effectively stop what's happening. It would just sort of rubber stamp the policies, as I said before. Folks, again, he's Eric Ruark, Director of Research Public Relations, Numbers USA. Eric, great job. We'll continue to follow the story. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us on The John DePietro Show. Thank you for having me on. All your oil needs, make it Henry Oil. Call Henry Oil today, 401 521 0200 reliable affordable fuel oil delivery call henry oil today fuel oil diesel gasoline delivery it's henry oil residential commercial fuel oil delivery since 1947 they also have budget plans service contracts lack lock and cap pricing you can depend on henry oil call them today 401 521 0200 serving most of rhode island and southeastern mass we got a long way to go with winter make sure that tank is filled call henry oil today 401-521-0200 henry oil a local family-run business since 1947 that you can depend on for all your oil needs call henry oil today 401-521-0200 you're listening to the John DePietro Show. I can't believe this story out of Massachusetts. Bribery scheme regarding some of these nasty troopers for these commercial driving licenses. Number one, it's dangerous to put these people in the roads. Number two, what they were obtaining and getting. Number one, these troopers make a lot of money. Um, and then on top of that, the, what, you know, a snowblower, um, Let's pick up the report. This is the Channel 12, uh, Channel 10, Channel 10. Huge in a scheme to get licenses for unqualified commercial drivers. NBC 10's Aaron Coogan is live in Rehoboth. It's the hometown of one of the six men charged in this case. Aaron? Yeah, well, federal prosecutors say two Massachusetts state troopers, two MSP retirees, and two civilians are all involved in this scheme. As you mentioned, one of those civilians living right here in Rehoboth. The civilians who are charged either provided free goods or conspired with the troopers to pass applicants who, who, who didn't actually pass the test. Acting U.S. Attorney Joshua Levy These laid out a complex bribery case in Boston to today. Applicants. Court documents revealing that more than two dozen commercial driver's licenses were issued to unqualified applicants going back to 2019. Defendants allegedly displayed no regard for the public safety consequences of allowing people who didn't pass the test to have a CDL and operate commercial trucks. 42-year-old Scott Kamara of Rehoboth worked for a truck driver training school in Brockton. He's accused of falsifying driving test records for four state troopers. Later questioned about the incident by the grand jury, Kamara denied everything. As for the other defendants in the case, prosecutors say they secured multiple text conversations between the troopers and civilians, joking about unqualified applicants who wanted a license to drive heavy vehicles. Sergeant Cedarquist allegedly texted defendant Matheson commenting, quote, this kid is an idiot, and quote, no idea what he is doing. The U.S. Attorney's Office confirms that investigation is ongoing. MSP releasing a statement today saying this does not, this incident does not reflect on their ethical law enforcing. Aaron Coogan, NBC 10 News. You know, it's, um, it's really hard to fathom that this was allowed to be going on. And on top of that, you even have some current, you know, troopers that are still on the force. Think how dangerous that this is. So uh, Globe Story bribes an alleged trooper license scheme, snowblower, bottled water, a new driveway, four current former state police troopers, two civilians accepting bribes to give applicants passing scores on commercial driving license tests. I don't. It, it's hard to 
get the rationale. I'm looking at a photo of, he's a big guy, Gary Cedarquist. He was in charge of the state police CDL licensing unit, and he appeared in U.S. District Court in Boston. Um, some of the applicants that they tested, as they said, they were a mess, idiot, brain dead. But the sergeant, Gary Cedarquist, issued them commercial license anyway with a, quote, golden handshake in exchange for gifts such as a new snowblower, driveway renovation, supplies of bottled water, candy, and a coffee machine. <laughs> he and five other men arrested charge running a scheme resulted more than two dozen people got commercial licenses over five years without passing or sometimes without even taking the required tests. Besides Cedarquist, the prosecutors in charge, three others, current former troopers, all have ties to the unit. Um, the CDLs were for sale. Troopers were bribed with free goods. There's a picture of another one of them. Joel Rogers departed U.S. District Court in Boston after his appearance. <clears throat> I mean, it is just two retired troopers, Calvin Butner and Perry Mendez, both 63 years old. I think they were arrested in Florida. Scott Camara, 42, of Rehoboth, worked at a commercial driving school in Brockton. Eric Matheson, 47, of Boston, a friend of Cedarquist. Falsifying records, conspiracy to commit extortion, extortion, honest service mail fraud, falsification of records, false statements, perjury, Applicants given special consideration by the troopers include relatives of active retired police officers, a Seekonk firefighter, and dr a driver with connections to a tow company in Canton. 74-count indictment. Just an absolute disgrace. The press conference on it was, uh, was even tough to listen to. Scott Camara covered up as he departed the state, the, uh, the courthouse, and he's lifting he, like a athletic jersey tries to lift it or i mean it's just embarrassing <clears throat> totally and on top of that putting these people on on the roads is even as equally as disturbing i think how dangerous that is folks you're listening to the john DePietro show <music> propane plus call them today heating and cooling in rhode island 401 885-4209 in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359 for Propane Plus. Three generations you can always depend on Propane Plus for all your heating and cooling. Call them today, 401-885-4209. Three generations, they're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they're going to serve you for a very long time. They have a great user-friendly website. You just log on at propaneplus.com. And then you type in your zip code, residential, commercial, propane plus, heating and cooling, always there for you. Give them a call today in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. The Johnson family, three generations, heating and cooling. You can always depend on propane plus. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Jeff Jacoby in the Boston Globe. Give Newton, Newton's teachers an ultimatum. Return to work or forfeit your jobs. He writes, it's been a while since the 12,000 public school students in Newton have studied history or anything else. Since the NTA, Newton Teachers Association, declared a strike January 18th, all classes, activities, 22 schools canceled. Classroom learning has come to a halt. So he writes, maybe there's a good moment for an impromptu lesson on American history. The morning of August 3rd, 1981, the union representing the nation's air traffic controllers, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization, called a strike. As government employees, the controllers were prohibited by law from walking off the job. Nonetheless, 95% of the members voted to strike for higher pay, in shorter hours knowing that thousands of flight would be canceled till they return they were counting on public pressure to compel the faa to come to new terms on a contract but a white house press conference a few hours later president reagan issued an ultimatum 
I must tell those who failed to report for duty this morning they're in violation of the law. If they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. Two days later, only 1,300 air traffic controllers returned to work. Reagan fired 11,345 who had not. As a one-time union leader who had led a strike, Reagan took no pleasure in moving against the controllers, not least because it had been one of the few unions to endorse him during the 1980 presidential campaign. But federal law banned government workers from striking, and Reagan believed that failing to uphold the law would set a terrible precedent, opening the door to further extortion from other public employee unions. It would also convey a deeply corrosive message. Laws intended to protect the public could be flouted with impunity. At his press conference, he praised those air traffic controllers who would remain at their post, quoted one who would resign from the union, saying, how can I ask my kids to obey the law if I don't? Now, members of the Newton Teachers Association should have asked the same question before abandoning their jobs. Even if the striking teachers don't care about the toxic example that they're setting, Newton's taxpayers, elected officials certainly ought to. It's outrageous. The union's 2,000 teachers, other school personnel, have left so many families in the lurch, forcing parents into desperate scramble to make arrangements for daycare, throwing children's routines into turmoil, stress, anxiety, wreaking havoc. And they're doing it in brazen violation of the law. Again, this is Jeff Jacoby, Boston Globe. The language is unequivocal. No public employee or employee organization shall engage in a strike. No public employee shall induce, encourage, and condone any strike. So they're openly doing this. The law's adamant about that. Unlike in the private sector, strikes by public employees are designed to inflict distress not on management but on innocent third parties, ordinary citizens, and to deploy that distress as a bargaining weapon. Like the air traffic controllers in 1981, Newton's unionized teachers, whose salaries, by the way, average 93000 come with generous benefits, are not striking over some towering moral principle. They're striking because they want more money and guaranteed future raises. That is no justification for organized law-breaking. Newton's teachers have no more right to desert their classrooms than they do to shoplift or commit fraud. They should be told what Reagan told, said to those union members, say traffic controllers, get back to work or you're fired. The Gipper took some heat for his hard line, but Americans strongly backed him. In a nationwide Gallup poll, 59% of respondents approved of Reagan's quick move to shut down the strike. A subsequent uh, Associated Press NBC news survey put public support even higher, 64%. As a matter of both good government and wise politics, government employees who walk off the line should be terminated. Since January 18th, Newton's teachers have deliberately broken the law. Let them know they have 24 hours to return to their jobs or they'll have no job to return to. Totally agree with them. Jeff Jacoby, Boston Globe. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Stop in and see Marie, that historic white church. Shop local, inside, all quality products, vitamins, herbal remedies, trusted companies. They understand quality, integrity. It's My Health. It's all about your health. Local products, I say, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. You know, they carry over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce plus box herbs and teas, hemp and CBD products, and much more natural skincare products. Stop it and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Mended Road in Cumberland. It's all about health for you, for your family. There's vitamins for children, all different types of teas, all different types of spices. Boy, what a difference it'll make. Shop local. Stop it and see the queen of health. It's Marie at It's My Health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. 
diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant, right in that historic white church. It's all about health. It's all about your health at It's My Health. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, House Republicans have taken key steps. The impeachment, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Let's get the latest with NBC. This happened while most of us were sleeping. Shortly after 1 a.m. and after roughly 15 hours of debate, House Republicans on the Homeland Security Committee voted to advance two articles of impeachment against the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, uh, That's bringing him closer to becoming the first secretary in nearly 150 years to be impeached. Now, the articles charge Mayorkas with breaching public trust and willfully ignoring the law by failing to enforce immigration policies at the border, with Republicans pointing out that it's led to more than 8.6 million migrant crossings, which is a record. Now, Democrats have said this is a political stunt, and Mayorkas, who did not appear at the hearing, calling the accusations baseless in a letter, adding that they, quote, do not rattle me. Hoda? So what, what do you think the timeline is on that House vote? What are you expecting? So, Hoda, we do expect that the vote on the full House floor is expected next week, and it likely will only pass if Republicans avoid just two defections because of their razor-thin majority. Now, Mayorkas is not expected to be convicted in the Senate, but a trial during the general election further puts the spotlight on the issue that Republicans and former President Trump will help his campaign. At least he's hoping it'll help his campaign. And that's why the former president is attempting to kill that bipartisan border deal in the Senate. Democrats are slamming Republicans for impeaching Mayorkas over failing to take sufficient action at the border, all while opposing legislation to do just that. Now, a vote on the deal is expected next week as well, but it still has little chance to pass in the House. That according to the Speaker, Mike Johnson, who has spoken to Mr. Trump about this, but he called it absurd when he was asked whether or not he's doing it to help Trump's campaign. Hoda. Now, meanwhile... I mean, all eyes to see what the Biden administration are going to do and respond after that attack. Days after the drone attack, they killed three soldiers in Jordan. Let's pick up the latest now. President Biden is saying there will be response, but he's not saying what. So something obviously clearly needs to be done here. So you have the three soldiers that were killed. The world is watching. This is all backed by Iran. So what exactly are we going to do about it? Other than not a lot of people have faith in the Biden administration in regards to this. But let's pick up the latest now with NBC. Savannah, good morning. This morning, U.S. officials are describing this as a campaign that could last for weeks, telling our Pentagon team it's expected to include Iranian targets outside of Iran, that there are likely to be kinetic and cyber operations, and the targets will be in multiple places, several countries and locations. President Biden under intense pressure this morning after confirming he has decided how to respond to the weekend's deadly drone strike on a U.S. base. Yes. The three American service members were killed by the explosives-laden drone that evaded defenses at their base in Jordan. The leader of one group, strongly suspected of the attack, saying it's suspending military operations in the region, likely a reaction to expected U.S. strikes. The U.S. skeptical the attacks will stop. Actions speak louder than words. While the president is still wary of a growing conflict. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. He was pressed by NBC's Gabe Gutierrez whether he blames Iran for the attacks. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. But a different group, supported by Iran, striking the U.S. again overnight. The Houthis firing an anti-ship cruise missile towards the Red Sea, shot down by a U.S. destroyer, the USS Gravely, the Pentagon says. Tensions and the fallout from the war in Gaza growing on multiple fronts, while the families of the service members killed in the strikes in Jordan are still reeling. The army announcing two of those killed, Kennedy Sanders and Brianna Muffet, have been posthumously promoted to the rank of sergeant, recognizing their exceptional courage. I just want to say thank you to everybody that sent us prayer requests. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Oh. 
So heartbreaking for those families. And in the meantime, Kier, word that Iran has released a new warning this morning about any potential retaliatory attack from the U.S. What have you heard? That's right, Savannah. The commander of Iran's Revolutionary Guard saying, quote, we hear threats coming from American officials. We tell them that we've already te they've already tested us and we now know one another. No threat will be left unanswered. U.S. officials telling NBC News that the targets have not yet been uh, finalized. But Savannah, underscoring the multidimensional nature of the challenge here for President Biden, the director of the CIA saying this week that the crisis in Gaza, he believes, has emboldened Iran. Savannah. Something needs to be done. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. A great meal, a great time is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn, Rhode Island tradition since 1977, 226 Coesed Avenue, West Warwick. They have a large dining room, perfect, maybe a, a group, uh, maybe a collation, lunch, the Coesed Inn, getting a big group together or maybe just you alone or a date. 226 Coesed Avenue, West Warwick. Great staff, terrific food. They're always working on the menu. And they also have a nice lounge as well. You have the market at Coesed right there. They're open seven days a week. I'll see you for a great meal. Make it the Coesed Inn. need a good plumber i found the best plumber jmb plumbing call them today all your plumbing needs 401-743-9153 jmb plumbing they've been providing plumbing services for years skilled professionals stand behind their work guarantee you will be happy maybe it's repairing damaged water pipes repair clogged pipelines maybe replace a, a water heater as well as all your plumbing needs call them now it's jmb plumbing 401-743-9153 nothing throws off your life or your home or your business when you need plumbing service you need someone reliable someone who's professional someone who'll handle the job and do it right it's jmb plumbing call them today 401-743-9153 JMB Plumbing and look for them on Facebook. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Let's pick up U.S. Attorney in Massachusetts. This is the Q&A, the announced the rest of the state troopers. Uh, I always like when then they get some specific questions from members of the media and let's listen in. On the first question, we've we've identified over two dozen people who did not pass the test or did not take the test uh, who received a commercial driver's license. Those names have been referred to the Registry of Motor Vehicles. Uh, on the second piece, yes, it's alleged it's a quid pro quo. Um, we're not alleging cash, but we are alleging various items. Some of these are in the picture here. Um, uh, the driveway, the snowblower, uh, mailbox, landscape, and that type of thing. Um, so, uh, we don't have any information on that, but we also haven't been following people with drones, uh, out on the road. So I, I really, that's beyond the scope of what we investigated. Can you tell us what the origin of this was? Yeah, I, I can't comment on the origins of an investigation like this. Um, we, we get information from a variety of sources. Um, seems like a comment, not, not, not a question. I, I really can't speak to the, the, the motivation of the individuals involved. Josh, this has been going on for five or six years that things are passing people rubber stamping commercial licenses and there's a bunch of some dozen drivers that shouldn't be driving trucks. Is that what you're saying? Uh, we're saying this started in, in uh, the summer of 2018 um, and 
you know, our investigation obviously didn't start when we alleged the conspiracy started. We, we've been investigating this for a much shorter period of time, um, but it has been going on as alleged in the indictment for over five years. My two dozen, the two dozen number I gave you refers to what we've uncovered in this investigation uh, that of people who have a CDL that didn't pass the test. Uh, we are not, it's not part of what we do in a criminal investigation to audit all the CDL drivers. That's why we've been working with the registered motor vehicles uh, to address the public safety issue of people who have CDLs may have got them improperly. Flint. I mean, that's I'll let, I'll let Chris speak to the DOT perspective. Um, the reason why we've been working with RMV is they're the ones who issue the licenses and they're the ones in the best position to take to take the next steps. Flint, you've had your hand a few times. Uh, so I, obviously I haven't had time to read the entire document, but there are two people who are unidentified, a uh, friend conspirator and trooper conspirator. Uh, why are these people not identified? Is it because they haven't been arrested? Are they going to be charged or are they special in some way? Um, I would say that the, this investigation is, is ongoing, um, and uh, we're going to follow additional leads that, that we're working on that may come in. Um, and I, I can't get into the reasons why certain people are have been moved out of the defendant uh, category and, and, and described the way they are. Uh, we do that for a variety of reasons. Now, again, folks, this is the U.S. Attorney, and it's so disturbing. I want to go back just to the very beginning where he lays out all the charges on this whole thing. Large vehicles need to secure in order to operate those vehicles safely. The indictment alleges these defendants gave passing scores to people who did not pass the test to obtain a CDL. In return for passing unqualified applicants, one of the defendants, Sergeant Gary Cedarquist, is alleged to have received personal benefits of a variety, a variety of nature. A new driveway valued at over $10,000, a $2,000 snowblower, and other such items. The grand jury indictment against these six men includes charges of extortion, honest services mail fraud, conspiracy, false statements, and falsification of records. In short, as alleged in this indictment, the CDLs were for sale and troopers were bribed with free goods to pass applicants, no matter how they performed on the test. Four of these defendants were arrested this morning, including two members of the Massachusetts State Police, Sergeant Gary Cedarquist and Trooper Joel Rogers. Two civilians were also arrested this morning, Scott Camara and Eric Matheson. Two retired Massachusetts, Massachusetts State Troopers were arrested in Florida yesterday, Calvin Butner and Perry Menendez. So let me just pro provide a little bit more background about these criminal charges. The issuance of CDLs is governed by federal law and regulations. These laws require that in order to secure a CDL, an operator must pass certain tests, um, three, three tests specifically, a vehicle inspection, a basic skills test, and a road test. You need to pass these tests in order to operate large vehicles on highways and in our neighborhoods, things like tractor trailers, oil tankers, and school buses. These standards and regulations exist for one very simple reason, to protect and prevent death and injuries from the operation of commercial motor vehicles. It's to make sure that everyone operating these, these types of rigs at high rates of speed on highways or in neighborhoods has the required skill to operate them safely. And under federal law, these CDL tests are administered at the state level. And here in Massachusetts, that uh, responsibility is vested with the state police in a particular unit known as the Commercial Drivers Licensing Unit. The indictment alleges that starting in August 2018, three of the Massachusetts state police officers working in that unit used their positions to falsify results on the basic skills tests for certain CDL applicants. The indictment alleges that a fourth trooper, Trooper Joel Rogers, joined that conspiracy in, in uh, 2022. The civilians who are charged either provided free goods or conspired with the troopers to pass applicants who, who, who didn't actually pass the test. These defendants all conspired to pass applicants 
who either failed the test, did not take the test, or took an abbreviated test. Wow. As set forth in the indictment, the defendants allegedly displayed no regard for the public safety consequences of allowing people who didn't pass the test to have a CDL and operate commercial trucks. As you will see in the indictment, there are various text messages included. They jokingly talk about golden treatments and golden handshakes, referring to giving guaranteed passes to certain CDL applicants, regardless of how they did on the test. In one text, defendant Butner, a Massachusetts state trooper, allegedly talks about an applicant who was performing required maneuvers, and he described him as, quote, a mess, end quote. And he said that the applicant owes defendant Cedarquist, quote, prime rib for passing the test. In another... Folks, so, so disturbing. Again, U.S. Attorney swooping in on troopers within the Massachusetts State Police. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. When it comes to insurance, you need a neighbor, a partner, and friend. You need Chapa Insurance Agency. They're located right on Reservoir Avenue in Cranston. Call today, free consultation, 401-900-INSU. 401-900-4678, Chapa Insurance, SIA. Stephen, very experienced, whether it's auto, home, renters, business insurance, flood, recreational, umbrella, any other protection for your assets, Rhode Island of Massachusetts, Shapa Insurance Agency, your agency of choice. Call today, set up a meeting. They're so knowledgeable, can have everything under one roof. Call Shapa Insurance today, 401-900-INSU or 401-900-4678. Look for them on Facebook. Again, located Reservoir Avenue in Cranston, Shapa Insurance Agency, your neighbor, your partner, your friend. One-stop insurance solutions. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Folks, I always tout our website just because it has exclusive stories and video. It has links to on-the-scene live stream. Remember, there's no vo uh, vowel I. It's D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com dpetro.com you can also reach me that way if you'd like to get in touch with me dpetro.com log on and then links to facebook and youtube everything we have it's all waiting for you right there at the website for all your tree needs call yankee tree today the tree trimming experts in lincoln call Yankee Tree at 401-439-6028. Whether it's tree removal, stump grinding, tree pruning, emergency service, bucket truck service, even bobcat service, you can depend on Yankee Tree. Remember, 24-7 emergency services available. They are fully insured, licensed arborists. Yankee Tree. With all these storms, don't let some dangerous branches fall onto your home or business. Call Yankee Tree today, 401-439-6028. The tree trimming experts in Lincoln, you can depend on Yankee Tree Service. Call them, 401-439-6028. Free quote, 24-7 emergency service, Yankee Tree Service. There when you need them, 401-439-6028. <music> 